Today's sermon is titled Gospel Transformation, and it takes place within the sermon series called The Power of the Gospel. In this series, we are exploring the question, does the gospel really change everything? Last week, we began examining the transformative power of the gospel with the movement of the gospel. The gospel moves from death to life, from humiliation to exaltation. Christ died, his humiliation. And Christ rose again, his exaltation. We participate in the gospel when we move from death, humiliation and repentance, to life, exaltation and glory. In Isaiah 54 last week, we saw the transformative power of the gospel. The gospel turns the barren one into the fruitful one. But the ultimate transformation is in heaven. Paul says that heaven, or the Jerusalem that is above, is our mother, and we are in her womb. Heaven was the barren one, but Jesus has transformed her when he entered into heaven in his resurrected body, his ascension, which we remember today in the church calendar. Our goal while we are in the womb of heaven is to be formed by our heavenly mother, to be formed by the gospel, the gospel of death and resurrection, the gospel of humiliation and exaltation. It is our goal to be born from above. In the second century, there was a martyr named Ignatius of Antioch, and on his way to being martyred, he wrote seven letters. Uh, Anyone that's interested in the early church writings, uh, these seven letters are a great entry point. They're short, they're accessible, but they're very, very strange. Uh, In one of these letters, he's addressing a group of people that could come and have potentially freed him from his martyrdom. But he writes to them something very strange. He says, please do not try to free me. But he uses different language than that. He says, please do not keep me from my birth. If you try to save me from my martyrdom, you will cause me to miscarry. You will keep me from my true birth. Ignatius says, simply pray that I do not miscarry. Simply pray that I am fully transformed by the gospel. This morning, we will continue our exploration of the power of the gospel, and specifically its ability to transform And like Ignatius of Antioch, we will look to prayer as our medicine, or if you will, as our prenatal vitamins. Prayer is one way that we apply the gospel to our lives and therefore are changed by the gospel. Prayer is one way that we are formed by the womb of heaven. So to explore this question, how can we be formed through prayer, we will look to the prayer of Mary which is in Luke chapter 1, 46 to 55. It is page 856 in the Bibles in your pew. Go ahead and turn there, and we're going to go through Mary's prayer together. Uh, For this series, which is my last series here, uh, I've chosen some of my favorite passages. So here are four quick reasons why I like Mary and her prayer. Uh, First of all, Mary is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, Besides Jesus Christ... Samson from the Old Testament is my favorite, uh, but Mary might replace Samson one day. 
Why is this? Well, I have come to appreciate the humanity of Jesus Christ. We like to think of Jesus Christ as divine, and he is, but he's also a human being. And as I love Jesus, the human being, I feel like I need to love his human mother. The second reason I love Mary is I love a good underdog story. Like I said last week, this is the theme of every good story, and it is the theme of Mary. Mary is contrasted with the high priest, Zacharias. Zacharias is serving in the temple. He's an educated man. He knows God. But when he hears the word from the angel, he does not believe. Mary, however, is a young girl, probably never been in the temple, and she is unlearned, but she believes. She's the underdog in this great reversal story. This is a theme of Mary's life as well as a theme in her prayer. A third reason I love Mary is that she utters some of the most transformative sentences of Scripture, which we're going to explore. And the fourth and final reason I like Mary in her prayer is because she has a lot to teach us regarding prayer. Now, Reformed churches are usually a little bit skeptical of Mary. But Martin Luther, one of the original Reformers, thought very highly of Mary. Luther said that there were only two prayers Christians must memorize. Of course, the Lord's Prayer, and the second was the Prayer of Mary, the Magnificat. So we will explore the topic of prayer in Mary's Prayer, the Magnificat, this morning. And as we do this, we're going to see that prayer transforms us by doing three things. One, prayer expands our hearts. Prayer orders our loves, and prayer opens our eyes. It expands our hearts, orders our loves, and opens our eyes. So let's take a look at verse uh, 46. Let's read it again together. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and their offspring forever. Amen. First, prayer transforms us by expanding our hearts, our souls, our inner being. Look at verse 47. Mary prays, my soul magnifies the Lord. There is something truly special about every human being, about our souls. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We have an intellect. We don't simply act on instinct like animals. Animals eat for survival, but they do not use their intellect. Humans, yes, we eat for survival, but we also eat with our intellects. Plenty of animals eat fish, but only humans can catch a fish with a worm, clean the fish, batter it with beer and flour, deep fry it, throw it in a taco, and have something truly delicious. Like God, we have intellects, we have deliberation, we have freedom, we create and we design, we explore and we speak. 
in our nature, we are made to magnify God. However, we can become more like God and we can magnify him on greater levels. God is merciful. And so we are called to be merciful and magnify the Lord. God is gracious and we can magnify him by also being gracious. God is slow to anger and patient. God is loving and wise. With these attributes, we can magnify the Lord and expand our hearts. Through the gospel, we reflect God more and more. Our humanity is set free in Jesus Christ, and we can use our intellect, our freedom, and our creativity to be like Christ. Through prayer, we magnify God, and our hearts are enlarged to reflect him at greater levels. Through prayer, we obtain one of the greatest virtues possible. It is called magnanimity. It's a big word, but it means being big-souled, or having a soul that magnifies the Lord, having a soul that rejoices. Look at verse 47. Mary prays, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit rejoices. It makes me think of another barren woman, Sarah, who is the one that Isaiah was referring to in chapter 54. Sarah rejoiced when her son arrived. Of course, the early Sarah, early Sarah made plenty of mistakes. She tried to apply the gospel to her situation instead of her heart. She gave Hagar to her husband and brought about all sorts of problems. The latter Sarah, however, she became passive. She received the gospel promise and she applied the gospel to her heart and not her situation. A child was then born, a child whom she named Isaac, which means laughter and joy. Like this later Sarah, Mary properly received the gospel, and she experienced joy and laughter and true rejoicing in her prayer. When we receive the gospel like Mary, joy, laughter, and rejoicing, they are formed in us as Isaac was formed in Sarah. But note what is required for this heart to expand. Look at verse 48. Mary continues to pray. God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Perhaps you have wondered, why did God choose Mary? But this should not be a surprise. Mary was from a humble estate. And God has a special place in his heart for humility. I think this is the same reason that God chose King David. God searched throughout all the land for a man after his own heart. And he called Samuel the priest to look everywhere for this young man. Samuel interviewed all the sons of Jesse, but none of them were right. Samuel asked Jesse, don't you have any other sons? And how did Jesse respond? He said, well, yeah, I do, but he's only a child. The humblest and meekest of all my sons. Why would you want him for something so great? Well, Samuel knew that God likes to choose the humble. The barren ones, according to Isaiah 54. Samuel's own mother, Hannah, was of humble estate, and she was once barren herself. Well, Jesse should have known better like Samuel because his own grandmother, Ruth, was also once considered barren. Humility. Humility does not make us smaller or less noble, as Jesse might think. 
No, humility actually expands our hearts. It makes us noble. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, or blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Humility does not diminish one's heart. It expands it. Because as we approach God in humility, we realize his greatness and join in his greatness. Look at verse 49. Mary prays, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In this phrase, Mary is actually praying the gospel. The Almighty God is the one who does great things. The Almighty is the subject of the gospel. And Mary says that the Almighty does these great things for me, for us, and for our salvation. We are the object of the gospel. To pray like Mary is to pray the gospel. And notice how Mary focuses on God's name. She prays, holy is his name. Where else do we see people praying for the holiness of God's name? In the Lord's Prayer. Martin Luther made the connection between these two prayers. Uh, We tend to think of Jesus as coming out of the womb and already knowing how to pray. But as I said before, he was a human being, and humans need to learn. They need to be taught. I don't believe Jesus was potty trained by December 26th, and I don't think he was praying the Lord's Prayer by December 27th. So who taught him how to pray? Perhaps it was the same person who potty trained him. Mary prays, holy is his name. And Jesus prays, hallowed be your name. Praying this petition is transformative. Why? Because God's name is holy, regardless of who is praying it and who is not praying it. If you forget to pray, hallowed be your name, on Tuesday evening, God's name is not less holy on Wednesday morning. But guess what? You will be diminished in your own holiness if you forget to pray. Remember that great kid's song? Read your Bible and pray every day and you will grow, grow, grow. If you forget to read and you forget to pray, you will shrink, shrink, shrink. Meditating on God's name and on his holiness is for you. God's holiness changes you. Because through prayer... Our hearts become bigger and they are taken higher. So praying transforms us by enlarging our hearts. And praying also transforms us by ordering our loves. It is not good enough just to have a larger heart. We must also love the right things with that large heart. We must love God. Look at verse 50. Mary prays, His mercy is for those who fear him. His mercy is for those who fear him. So what about for those who do not fear him? Well, there is mercy's opposite, judgment. Mercy and judgment of God. Mercy for those who fear God instead of humans, but judgment for those who fear humans instead of God. Everyone fears something, either God or people, but you cannot fear both equally. Now, I do not believe this idea of fear simply means respect, I think it is a real fear. When I was in college, I was traveling through Germany, and I got out of a train station late at night in Dusseldorf, and I was walking to my hostel, and there I walked by a pub. And there was a towering German man. He must have been six foot six or six foot eight, 260 or more, and he did not look very happy. 
If he wanted to snap me in two, I think he probably could have done it. I feared this man because he was so much bigger than me. And who is God? Is God a bigger version of me? Is he a bigger version of this German man? No. God is above being itself. All things, all beings find their existence in and through God. And I'm plenty terrified of other things. I'm scared of tornadoes and hurricanes. I'm scared of the sun's UV rays and lightning, not to mention spiders. I remember the first time I saw the Himalayas, actually the only time I saw the Himalayas. For days, we could not see the mountains because of all the smog from Kathmandu. But eventually, the smog cleared, and I thought that I was looking at some rather strange clouds up in the sky. Well, they were not clouds. They were some of the highest mountain peaks in the world. And I was terrified. God is above all Himalayas, hurricanes, and even spiders. He is to be feared, yet he is not scary. His mercy is for those who fear him. His judgment, verse 51, is for the proud and the haughty. Verse 52 is for the mighty. And verse 53 is for the wealthy. But even in that judgment, God is not unmerciful. He desires that all people come to repentance. He desires that all people come to humility. God desires that all people be transformed by the gospel and transformed by prayer, yet he still judges. And what is that judgment according to Mary? Verse 52, that God brings down the mighty, that he humbles them, perhaps so that they can experience repentance. And look at Mary in verse 53. God sends the rich away empty, that he humbles them, hopefully leading them to repentance. The gospel humbles, either voluntarily or involuntarily. And the gospel rightly orders our loves, whether we want it to or not. With a heart of love, Mary actually prays something very bold. And the reason she could have such a bold prayer is because she was so humble. But now she is being transformed. She is being exalted. And Mary's prayer stands in a great tradition of bold prayers. Namely, the prayer of Hannah. Hannah, the once barren woman who came to be the mother of Samuel. It seems like Hannah's prayer, or excuse me, Mary's prayer had been formed by Hannah. Hannah's prayer is in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It's on page 223 in your Bibles. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at it just briefly. In Hannah's prayer, you see the same themes of justice of the wicked being cast down and the weak and righteous being exalted. I had a professor from Ethiopia, and he said of these two prayers, the prayer of Mary and the prayer of Hannah, he said that he imagined Xena warrior princess from the TV show was the one praying these. Now, I don't exactly picture Hannah and Mary as Xena, but they are very powerful prayers. See if you can tell some of the similarities between Hannah's prayer and Mary's. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. The idea of her heart expanding and being exalted and her rejoicing in her spirit. Verse 2. 
There is none holy like the Lord. Remember, holy is his name, Hannah. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. God is the judge who weighs the actions. And in verse 4, we see the, the scales being tipped. The bows of the mighty are broken, and the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn and lonely. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. We see this great reversal. The humble being exalted. But we also see the exalted being humbled. Through prayer we can be transformed. We will be humbled by contemplating and encountering the greatness of God. And through God's greatness we will be exalted and changed through the gospel. Through prayer, we will rightly love him more than anything else. Praying transforms us by enlarging our hearts, ordering our loves, but also by opening our eyes. With large hearts and right loves, we will finally have eyes to see God face to face. Look at verse 54. Mary prays, God has helped his servant in remembrance of his mercy. Now, God does not forget his mercy. God is mercy. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Notice how Mary prays to God's servant Israel. Jacob was the first person to bear the name Israel. And he received this name because of a wrestling match he had with God. Perhaps a picture of what our prayer life should be. Because we are called to wrestle with God in prayer. Jesus calls us to persevere in prayer in Luke 18. He tells us to pray like a woman, a poor woman trying to receive justice from an unjust judge. She's called to persevere in prayer, and we are called to wrestle in prayer. After Jacob persevered in prayer, in this wrestling match of prayer with God, he received a new name, a name indicating that he had seen the Almighty, Genesis 32.30 says, I saw the face of God and my life was spared. No one is supposed to see God and live. But after wrestling, Jacob saw God. And yet Jacob's life was spared, but Jacob was changed. He had to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. It was a limp not to punish Jacob. It was not a limp of harshness, but it was a limp of mercy so that Jacob could have a constant reminder of God and his great mercy. 
God gave Jacob a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from the devil, as he gave Paul. God gives us pain. And he gives us annoyances and grievances because they humble us. They help us fix our eyes on his mercy. Prayer. It gives us new eyes to see the beauty behind our pain. But more so, it reminds us that one day we will see God. And that will be greater than any limp or affliction we have now. Mary is reminded of this mercy as she prays. She is the servant of the Lord, the handmaiden of the Lord. And she was the first to see the face of God in Christ Jesus. She was the first to hear the voice of God through the cries of a little infant. The same, ver- the same voice that Mary says in verse 55 has spoken to the fathers, to Abraham and his offspring. Through prayer, we are connected to all of the church, whether Old Testament or New Testament. Through prayer, we will be transformed to see God and to see and commune with the people of God because we are in Christ. We are in the womb of heaven. That makes all of us siblings, twins. We will be true sons and true daughters as long as we do not miscarry, like Ignatius warned, or as long as we do not fail to finish the race, as Paul warned. Right now, our eyes are still being formed and developed in the womb of heaven. But once our eyes can fully see and they are opened, we will be able to see Jesus Christ. We will be able to see him not only face to face, but we will see him in the faces of those who make up his body. Because through prayer, Christ is being formed in each one of us and we are being formed into him. That is the mystery and the power of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right now, the church may seem deformed, but that is because she is still being formed. And the Prince of Heaven desires her beauty, because her beauty is the beauty of God. As Mary prayed the Magnificat, what was being formed in her womb? Jesus Christ. And as we pray, what is being formed in us? Jesus Christ. My favorite words of Mary actually take place in verse 38 before her prayer, in her response to the word of the Lord from the angel. Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be. A statement that requires deliberation that requires our intellect, our freedom, our will, and our choice to surrender, to become passive, to let the gospel change us from within, like the latter Sarah, like Hannah, like Ruth, and of course, like Mary. Let it be. It is a statement of resignation that Jesus commands us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Father, let your kingdom come. God's kingdom is coming, respond with, let it be. Father, let your will be done. God's will cannot be thwarted, respond with, let it be. It is a statement that we see Christ praying 
as he surrenders himself to the cross in the garden. Not my will, but let your will be done. Let it be. A statement mysteriously unfolding from Genesis 1. Let us make. A statement that we will explore next week. But this week, we have seen that the gospel has the power to transform. But we must offer our own let it be. We must pray like Mary. And as we pray, the gospel will expand our hearts, making them magnanimous. The gospel will organize our loves, allowing us to see God face to face. And the gospel will open our eyes, allowing us to see God face to face in the beauty of Christ and in his church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, that we have the great privilege of prayer, of coming before you and humbling ourselves before your greatness. We pray, Lord, that you would expand our hearts, that you would grant us humility, and that you would infuse us with your holiness, with your greatness. We pray, Father God, that you would organize our loves. Forgive us for fearing humans. Forgive us for fearing other things besides you. Please make you the top priority in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see you face to face in the beauty of Christ and his church. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.